So you know, um, on the first evening I was saying uh, that I was very happy that we could do this together this weekend, that I was very excited about this, that it feels to me like it's an amazing thing to do and that I'm, I'm really happy that we can uh, go in, on this exploration together this weekend. And I was reflecting on this just sitting here now and, uh, and, and uh, I have kind of conflicting emotions. Uh, one is where I'm. I, I, I can say, and I was. I was thinking. This is what I was thinking. I was just sitting here. I was like, I, I'm. I'm as happy and excited about this adventure as I was Friday evening. You know, uh, even knowing that it can be hard and it's not easy to be here, and we can get a little like, why am I here again? You know, this is so confusing. <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know if you feel this, but it's not uh, it's not always easy to go on retreat. Often there's a kind of a you, know, you can go down in the underworld a little bit, you know, of confusion and doubt and all this. Usually we come back up at the end, <laughs> but there, there can be an arch like this, like oh my god, it's so hard to be me. I prefer to be stuck on my computer and not be stuck with this person <laughs> all day long, you know, sitting and walking. Anyway, so one of the emotions or f feelings I have or thought I have is that I'm still as excited and at the same time, I don't know if it's like this for you, uh, Anushka, but for me as a teacher, I feel very responsible. So sometimes I like, oh my God, I got them into that thing, you know, like now I have to keep them going, you know, <laughs> like I feel uh, there's a kind of a... Uh, I feel responsible that you have a good experience or that you um, you feel the, the benefits of this, you know. And uh, so I have kind of the two things mixed inside of me. But mostly I'm rejoicing because I have actually, a, I have great faith in this practice. And I think it's not a blind faith. It's not like a naive faith. It's a verified faith, verified from the inside and verified from uh, having the uh, opportunity, the great chance to talk with a lot of people who do this practice in all kinds of different ways, you know, by sitting uh, daily and going to classes or by sitting short or longer retreats, you know. And I get a lot of testimonial, you could say, yeah, of people saying like, oh, in that particular aspect of my life, it's been so... Uh, helpful, you know, and and you could f you can feel the authenticity of that statement. Also, sometimes talking with um, the retreatants, the the practitioners like this, a particular thing that I like is when somebody describes an insight, something they understood, and it's done in a very very um, unique way, very personal way. They're really describing something that they experienced personally, that they understand personally. It's very clear in the description. Yet, it's completely classic. So I'm like, oh my God, this is the exact kind of exchange that the Buddha would have with people reporting their practice or that you would read in the Visuddhimagga, a text written a thousand years ago, description of the unfolding of practice. And, and suddenly somebody describes what they un their understanding is very personal. It's, nobody has ever said it exactly like that, but it totally matches the, the unfolding. I've seen this many, many times. This brings a lot of faith because, oh, that's the, 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 how conditional this path is. You know, it, practicing in this way will bring this kind of un liberating understanding. 
yeah, so I'm very happy that we do this. It's hard to do this. I mean, for some of us, it might be mostly breezy this weekend and it's good. It doesn't mean that something is not happening, you know. It can be light and it can be, but often it's not that easy to sit with oneself all these hours and walk with oneself with no stimulation. But I, yeah, again, I, I, I've never done anything that, as powerful as that. And it is, again, for me this weekend, because I'm sitting and walking with you guys, and uh, I'm also in retreat, we both are. And it's an amazing undertaking. Um, another thing also, I'm reporting a bit on how it is for me. I, I, I haven't, I'm still um, surprised by this practice. I'm still uh, in awe. I'm still, uh, I'm, it's, um, it, it's intriguing to me. I still sit here and just be with what is there and discover it. And it still appears to me to be very new. And I don't know, there's something very fresh for me still with practice after a, a number of years of doing this. I, I, I don't get over it. I'm still intrigued by it. I don't know exactly how it works. So that's, I don't know why I'm saying this. You might be interested in that or not, but that's just a report from another practitioner, you know. Um, so let's go back to the Buddha story a little bit. There's something that I, f I find very uh, inspiring many things in the Buddha's story that I find is inspiring, but there's one thing that I find particularly precious and beautiful. So as many of you might know, there was a time where before this person was the Buddha, awakened, freed, the heart released, you know, uh, they had the chance, the privilege really, to have access to a lot of uh, pleasure. They were the son of a local king, we could say, and uh, they were living a protected uh, life with access to a lot of pleasure of the senses, a lot of it. And for this person, this didn't do it. They didn't find a lasting happiness, a sense of ease or peace, inner peace, by having access to beautiful music, food, uh, thoughts, uh, you know, comfortable beds, and the whole shebang, you know, apparently they had access to which is some, sometimes we think our happiness lies in that, you know, if we could find the comfort, you know, if it could be comfortable. And apparently they had a lot of this going and it didn't work for them. And so after this, in their quest, it seems like they went towards some, somewhat of the opposite, thinking uh, something like pleasure, pleasure experiences, pleasurable experiences, hooks the mind, gets the mind attached, it wants it, it fears losing it. So it's to be avoided, the pleasure. So let's make it hard. Eat very little, sleep very little, uh, not lie down, uh, you know, be really demanding on the body and the mind. And they did that for a while and that didn't work out so well. And to the turning point, this is where I'm getting, the turning point for me is really interesting. I'll tell you why after I tell this little story. So at some point, this Buddha-to-be was uh, 
doing such hard ascetic practices that they were about to die. And they kind of reached that conclusion that this is not leading to liberation, this is leading to death. So I'm not working the right way here. And uh, right after um, uh, a very caring being came to the Buddha-to-be and offered them uh, milk rice or pour some kind of uh, rice pudding, you could say maybe today, and fed them. And I think he enjoyed the taste and he enjoyed the nourishment. He had a little memory. Many of you might know this story. In that moment, after, the, after all the sense pleasure, after the difficult uh, ascetic practices about to pass out, die, uh, is offered to him uh, something that is nourishing and pleasurable to eat. And there's this memory in his mind. And the memory is of, uh, he thought of when he was a kid, let's say eight, nine years old. The story is not clear about that. But uh, he had the memory of being a kid, maybe in a day like today, so summer day, or I think actually it was a spring day, but maybe beautiful like today, kind of a smooth day like this. And there was a plowing uh, festival preparing the soil for the, for the, to put the, um, the seeds in the earth and stuff. And as a kid, uh, he remembered being with the other kids and they were at this uh, kind of festival and there was a ritual where a priest was talking maybe and like they tend to do, talking on and on and on. And uh, the kids were staying there because they knew that after they would get cookies, you know. But the cookies or sweets uh, were not showing up because the priest kept talking. And so at some point they kind of gave up and some went to play over there. And, this, and the Buddha-to-be, Siddhartha, just walked a little bit away in the field. I was just enjoying the day, you know? And, uh, and then he saw in the, f in the further uh, away, there was a, an ox with a farmer there plowing the fields, their own field, away from the festival. And the Buddha was just, uh, the, not the Buddha, but the Buddha-to-be, the young, the kid, was just in, intrigued by this. And we're just looking at this scene, uh, they were probably outside of the palace for one of the rare times, and so that was an unusual sight, and they were just being attentive to this. And they could see that the farmer was actually working hard. They were sweating and pushing, and the ox was working hard, and it was not easy to make the earth, you know, turn around like this. And they were seeing all kinds of birds, flying little white birds, flying, flying around and sweeping down and grabbing, oh, what was that? Oh, on closer look, there was uh, um, worms coming out of the earth. That's why there was so many birds around. And then maybe some prey bird came and grabbed one of the smaller birds. And this young person was just, as kids are, intrigued by life, attentive. And they were seeing all this happening and they were touched by it. They could recognize uh, effort, efforting, because they knew from inside what is efforting is, you know, pulling a cart and things like this. So, so the mind was not judgmental. Do you recognize some things here? The mind was just attentive, caring about was what was happening, intrigued, interested. And then after, 
this young person uh, had seen this scene, had been touched in some way. They went to sit under a tree in the shade and they just relaxed there. They stayed there for a little while and, uh, and there was just this feeling, the quality of the air. There was just this uh, feeling, the breath. There was no, nobody had taught anything to this kid about meditation. This kid was just being a kid, like we were, you know, sitting there and just being present. And there was something sweet about being there and the parent, the father being not too far away and the friends, you know, and, and just this moment of calm. There's something ordinary about it, but good about it, wholesome about it. That's the memory that this uh, Buddha-to-be had when he received the porridge. He had this memory that came to mind. And what happened in that memory was this recognition that there was something worthy there, something good there, something unward leading. And they decided for themselves without anybody explaining this to them. This is why we call this person a Buddha, because they found the path to the heart's opening and release by themselves. And so just by having this memory, they thought, I think that might be the way to go. Looking for all the pleasures to make sure, kind of fixing all the pleasures around so they can stay and be there and available is stressful. Avoiding pleasures and trying to liberate the mind from the body or things like this, it's hard, it's harsh, it doesn't work so well. But there's something about this kid that was up to something or was touching something when they were sitting there under the tree and when they were looking at the farmer plowing the field. There was something there that later became called the middle path between the two extremes. So this was kind of a, an organic, natural discovery. This is what I, what I find precious about it when I was saying earlier, there's something that I like about this story. I like that there was something natural about it. This is what we're trying to return to here. We're trying to find this natural way to be present with the mind not scattered, but gathered, like this kid under the tree that spring day. Very and attentive so that we can discover things like he was maybe just watching the farmer, understanding how the world works, how you have to put effort for a field to grow food, how oh, the birds needs the worm, you know, discovering the world, the natural world, how it works by just this paying attention. So I like that story. To me, it's an instructions. I take it as, oh, what I like in it, it's, it's natural, Pascal. There's something natural about it. You don't have to force it. You don't, you, you don't have to read thousands of books about it and be like very technical about it. It's something very natural for human beings. It's something we can nurture, uh, maybe not, maybe easily. So that. Another image, I have three little, kind of three ways that I want to start this talk. So that's one way. Another way is I was uh, a few months ago now, 
I was teaching, I had the chance to teach with uh, Heather Martin, another teacher, a teacher of this tradition. And I really liked one image that she used one night, and it keeps coming back to me. And I always think, like, when I, I'm about to share about practice with people, this image comes back a lot these, these days. It's like, I think that's one of the really good images describing this practice. And so I'm borrowing this from Heather. And she was saying that evening that I had the Dharma talk, she was saying, you know, we spend a lot of time in our life um, manipulating things, you know, like uh, organizing things, you know, it's kind of an image of what's happening in the mind. You can Im- imagine the little fingers like, oh, okay, next week I'll do this, I'll call this one, and then when, I, that, that, when I'm got done with this, then this will be like that, you know, I hope it's really going to be like this. And if this one behaves like this, it's going to be like, you know, and, you know, and we, and what if I was to put this first in my life, you know, and we were kind of, do you recognize something of this? And she was saying, so this is what we do, we strategize, we manip- ma- manipulate, m- like this. And she said, so when we come to meditation, suddenly there's something else we do, is we do something like this. We just kind of weigh things. Uh, it's a different, instead of being busy like this, we're like, what's here now? How is this? Oh. And we kind of hold maybe the heart. Oh. This is how the heart is right now. Uh, this is how the temperature is right Not like, oh, if it was a little sunny, I could, you know. No, this is how it is right now. Do you recognize this movement of the meditative mind? It just, it's not manipulating things. It's like, oh, oh, look at that. This is how it is. Oh, calm. Look at that. Calm has this particular felt sense to it, this particular texture to it. Oh, look at that, agitation. Whoa, wow, agitation. Oh, prickly, you know, whatever the (laughs) words would be in English, you know, and we discover that, you know. Oh, you know, ease, ease of the body, lightness of the body. Oh, look at that. Oh, heaviness, crookedness, discomfort. We don't try to fix discomfort. We're like, oh, let me feel that. So this is the second image that I like to kind of talk about what we're doing here. Usually when I say there's three things, I forget the third one. I know it's written here somewhere, but let me see if it's written there also. <laughs> oh yeah. So another another thing that uh, really hit me, really, um, I'm still not getting over, actually, uh, this very small little teaching. And I've been going around places, and so you might have heard me on Dharma Seed say that, you know. I carry my little stories around, we do that. Um, And so a couple of years ago now, I think, I heard one teacher, uh, you know, there's so many lists in the Buddhist uh, cycle, you know, the two this, three that, five this, seven, name me a number and I can give you a list, you know. And, uh, or if I can, Anushka will. <laughs> Between the two, we can cover all numbers, Buddhist psychology. So one, one time, I think it's a couple of years ago, somebody, uh, one teacher was there and they said, oh, do you know that there's uh, the list of two of, um, uh, the two causes for the arising of wisdom. 
and my ear really, my attention really perked, you know, because I like a list of two. It's, <laughs> I can really handle this. Already I told you three is already a lot for me. So two, I was really like, oh, two causes for the arising of wisdom, amazing. That, like, I want to know, I was really intrigued. And then they said, so one of the causes of the, what causes the arising of wisdom, wisdom to me equates maybe an experience of inner freedom, of ease, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of um, not being trouble in the world or by the world, you know, but contributing, you know, not creating more trouble, but less trouble in the world. So one of the causes for the arising of wisdom would be the wise voice of another, yeah, and I recognized that. I thought, oh yeah, it's true that some understanding in my life, deeper understanding came from hearing somebody suggesting something. Oh, you know, why would you not consider this in this way instead? Oh, oh my God, yeah, that's liberating. Thank you, you just helped me let go of some resentment of confusion or something, you know? So the wise voice of another, and sometimes it comes through the form of a book or but it's from another human being expressing something in the capacity for us to recognize that. So then when I heard that, I recognized, yeah, it sounds true in my experience, and I'm grateful for that, that's amazing. And then the second cause for the arising of wisdom is, um, is, um, uh, <laughs> no, I know what it is, but there's a particular way to say it, to the translation of it, but now I lost it. So, uh, it's it, let's say wise attention. Wise attention is the second way to cause wisdom, liberating understanding to arise in one oneself. And so it's a very kind of short, simple teaching. I don't know why. I, I still don't get over it. I think there's so much. I. I, I know why. It's because I, I recognized immediately the truth of this from my experience. It was like, it's true that what my teachers have taught me is to pay attention, to pay attention in a particular way. And this paying attention has been very liberating for me. It helped me understand better what was happening in my mind, in the world. It helped me release some of the patterns that were not helpful, you know. So many things happen with this wise attention. And so that's the third kind of a little image I wanted to bring. And they go all together because uh, the Buddha-to-be, apparently it says that they didn't have the voice, the wise voice of another. They had to discover the nature of the world and the nature of the human heart and mind just by paying attention. They just had that access to that, the wise attention. And then they became a teacher offering their voice to add another cause for the arising of wisdom, the voice of another, of a, the wise voice of another. I like it because it represents a lot my experience of the the arising of some kind of wisdom or understanding in my life. And I like it particularly because we spent a lot of hours doing this this weekend, you know. 
Every time I teach on a retreat, I know that we're spending a lot, we're giving a lot of energy to this wise attention. And again, in this uh, teaching on the two causes of um, the arising of wisdom, there's this little text here. This is from the Buddha. And he seems to say, there is the case where an untaught ordinary person, this is probably us a lot of the time. So there is the case where an untaught ordinary person does not understand what things are fit for attention or what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, they attend to those things unfit for attention and do not attend to those things unfit uh, for attention. Did you follow? And when I read this, to me this seems like a very essential teaching. Not knowing much, human beings tend to attend to things that are not worthy of their attention. A lot of the time, let's say. And they don't, they have time, they have, it's, it would be possible, but they don't know, so they do not attend to things that are worthy of attention. And so this is where the teachings come in. That's my understanding of it, is that it says, hey, I'll tell you a few places where you can pay particular attention. Maybe the, it's about the where to put attention, what is fit for attention, but also how is it fit for attention. So that's the whole art of meditation, where to put attention and how. And you know, I can sit here if you don't give me any instructions, like the first time I went to meditate, very first time. If nobody had given me instructions, I would have sat there and just think about myself. Me and me after the retreat and me. Unworthy of so much attention. But I don't know, so what else? You know, I'm going to put a lot of attention on moi. You know, moi and what I want, and moi and what, who I could have been, or I could be, who I should be, who I will be, you know, and all kinds of things like this, you know, unworthy of my attention. Yeah? And then I went to this uh, particular center and they said, Pascal, here is something that is fit for your, t your attention. And that was very surprising for me. They said, why don't you spend the next couple of days just being attentive to your nose? <laughs> and I thought, wow, I would not have thought about this myself, you know, that <laughs> my nose were worthy of my attention, you know. But then I did a kind of a leap of faith and I thought, well, I could be thinking of moi, which is fascinating and, you know, <laughs> can do this forever, it seems. But they suggest to be a pay attention to my nose, so I'm going to do that. Pay attention to my nose. <laughs> I'm joking a little bit, but I am. I'm actually not. Also, because that was really the instruction. It was the first instructions of anapanasati, the attention to the breathing. And they were saying, put your attention at the nostril, where the air comes in and out, and in, and your mind will go back to planning that would seem worthy of your attention, rehashing, storytelling, etc., trance, being entranced, fascinated by thoughts, 
and concept and ideas about things. They're saying, every time you see that your attention is given to this, just think that it might not be so worthy of your attention and bring your attention back to the nostrils. And so I did that and in this way I learned to gather the mind, to bring the mind back and make the mind a little bit more powerful, laser-like maybe. You know, gathered, able to direct the attention and sustain the attention. There's words in Pali for that if you think it's uh, benign. It's called vitaka vichara, aiming the attention and sustaining the attention. And this was the beginning of learning how to pay attention and to what to pay attention, to make the mind more potent, uh, more seeing more, more clairvoyant. I say that it's more clear, yeah. And in this way, make discoveries about a lot of assumptions that I had. You know, that sometimes the world was against me. You know, pay attention, really pay attention. You might discover that actually the world is not against you, Pascal. That things unfold in a conditional way. When the conditions arise, these things ha happen. You know, it's not the world that is against you when you have a flat tire it's because you know puncture do happen you know <laughs> when the conditions are right you know and so oh that's a liberating understanding okay it's not about me or against me it's just life unfolding you know and so this uh what is worthy of attention this is a lot of what we're clarifying here this weekend or continue to clarify in our practice so, oh, I, can, I could attend to the story, the story, and I'm going to let go of the story and come back to the feeling of it. Oh, uncertainty. I keep thinking about it to kind of try to fix the uncertainty of the future. Oh, can I just be with the uncertainty? It's uncertain. Life is uncertain. We don't actually know what's coming. Can I be with just this, attend to this? instead of paying a lot of attention trying to fix this, you know. Oh, it's uncertain. This is how it is right now. Instead of thinking how I should be, pay attention to how I am right now, in order to maybe allow transformation to happen, you know. Compassion to kick in, you know. Acceptance to kick in. These kinds of uh, beautiful qualities of mind uh, being born out of that particular paying attention, yeah? And so maybe it could be good that I name or name again, I think we did it somehow this weekend, the kind of range of things one can be aware of in, the, in their meditation. What is fit for attention? So what is fit for attention is uh, everything of the body, the body that we actually dismiss a lot, we use as a tool. We never actually, we rarely pay attention, or some of us more than others, but many of us or most of us maybe don't pay attention to m so much to the body. And suddenly you have this suggestion from the Buddha that says, hey, I suggest that you pay attention to the posture you're in. Like, can you be aware that you're sitting when you're sitting? Can you be aware that you're walking when you're walking? 
Can you be aware that you're laying down when you're laying down or standing when you're standing? How much of the time do you do this, being aware that you're standing while standing or sitting while sitting? Usually you're sitting to eat, sitting to send another email, sitting to, you know, and suddenly that you have the Buddha coming saying like, hey, I think you should be just aware of this, that sitting is happening. Something very simple. So to me, after all these years, still surprising. Oh, okay, let me try. I'm willing to try again. Oh yeah, sitting, just sitting. And he seemed to say, from there a lot of discoveries can be made. So the posture, <coughs> the sensations, that's what we've been guiding you through, you know, a lot this weekend. Pay attention to the sensations. Not try to fix them or get more of the certain kind, or just pay attention, tingling, aching, pulsing, piercing, feels like this. Just bring your attention to this. This all, are, all of these are entry doors towards wisdom. It's amazing. I don't know why I don't get over it. Get over it. I don't. <laughs> because while I pay attention to the piercing or the throbbing, suddenly I could see like, oh, I don't want this, I despise this, I can discover my relationship with it, you know. There's many discoveries, or I can discover that actually I can let it be like this for a moment, that it's actually bearable. My idea of it amplifying or lasting is unbearable, but the actual sensation itself is, you know. Or, um, so anyway, I'll stay in the world of the body for now, so postures, Breath, pay attention to your breath, it will help you gather the mind. It will help you discover the quality of your attention. As I sit here, every time I sit, and I just become curious about the breathing process. Rising, falling, very simple. But then I can discover, oh my God, this mind is so scattered, or obsessed, or gathered. Oh, look at that, the mind stays there with the breath. And then I can discover, it's the entry point for me to discover that a mind that is settled is very, very beneficial. It's helpful. This is all intuitive uh, understanding that we have. We might not think of it, but we're going to experience it this way. It's going to become clear, maybe in an unspoken way. For example, if there's a moment of kindness, you know, as I sit here and I'm attentive and my mind is kind of available, and I can feel it, feel the texture of a mind that is open, available. And I can recognize intuitively, this is wholesome. The other mind that wants something else, that wants a deeper breath, a more concentrated mind. If I soak in it a little bit, and my entry point will still be the breath, being aware of the breath, and they'll be, yeah, but you need another breath, the other breath, you know. <laughs> and then at some point, I, it's going to become intuitive. Oh my God, this is exhausting. Lots of, it's not economical, it's not helpful, you know, then, whoa, renunciation can happen. I can let go of that attitude and just meet that shallow breath, just as it is, yeah? So the posture, the sensations, the breath, this is all the realm of the body, the activities of the body. The, the Buddha seems to suggest, be aware when you reach, be aware when you bend, be aware when you stand up, Be, bring your attention to this. Much of my life is lived by 
not being aware of this, getting the door open, getting that, you know, be aware as you're opening the door, you might be able to say like, oh my God, I'm coming to this person with such a charge. Thanks for the handle of the door, you know, that I could connect with this, feel the coldness, the hardness, and then discover that this person is all worked up. And there's maybe no need for that. Or maybe there's another attitude. Do you see what I mean? This is why we pay attention here, to, because one discovery leads to another. Yeah? And so these are the suggestions of the Buddha around the body. Be really, take good, good give attention to the body, postures, sensations, uh, the senses. Come back to your senses. Come back to your sensitivity. You'll make many discoveries. You'll discover how you assume, how you create stories. And then you'll come back to something very simple and real. That's my take uh, on this uh, mudra. You know, assailed, is that the word? By doubt. Should I be here? Should I do something else in my life? Uh, you know, it's really complex. And then the Buddha, this was happening to him. Should I be trying to find you know, peace of mind uh, in this way, or maybe there's another way, maybe there's a more sophisticated way, or, or you know, and then suddenly it just comes back to something really simple, touch. This is really happening, hardness on the fingers. And then a whole world collapses, a whole created generation of the mind world collapses, and we come back to simplicity. Let's care about just this here. Again, I can't get over it. What, is, what a simple door. Not easy, but very simple. And so in this range of what is fit for attention is all these things of the body. And then, whoops, we open a little bit more and we say, be particularly attentive if you want to, to the experience of pleasure and displeasure. You know, Don't jump right, uh, bypass it to go towards your opinion about it. People should not, you know, oh, this is unpleasant, unpleasant. Feel this, because there's a, a lot of discoveries can be made there. Often we jump over, we're like, I don't like that kind of architecture. You know? <laughs> this is unpleasant experience visually for me. It's just an unpleasant experience, you know. You know, you're in an elevator, stuck with a few people you don't know, it's unpleasant. Never taking elevators anymore. Uh, <laughs> over. It's like, don't jump over too quickly. Just be there, feel the unpleasantness. Feel the unpleasantness. Yeah. And so the, the Buddha seemed to suggest to pay a lot of attention to this as it is, the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the absence of it. You know, he said, Every phenomenon, every experience you have is either pleasant or unpleasant, or maybe neither one or the other. If it's neutral in this way, it's also very important that you notice, because usually you get excited, you get doubtful, you like something's not happening, like, why, there's nothing happening in my meditation, like, what, what am I doing wrong? It's like, well, maybe there's not much happening, is that, oh, could that be okay? That there's just breathing. Oh, okay, you can remove a whole layer of stress by being able to be with things that are neutral because they happen in life, you know. And we're like, okay, there's nothing happening, change channel, give me somebody, text me, you know, give me something. It's like, but no, there's just nothing happening now. Can that be okay? That's neutrality, nor pleasant nor unpleasant. Can you gain freedom in that? Can you be free even if it's not that stimulating, you know?
And so, I mean, there's many things I could say about the pleasure, unpleasure, neutrality, but that's in the range of what is worthy of attention. Oh, pleasant, pleasant. Am I going to start defining myself because there's a moment of joy? There's joy, it's pleasant, it's easeful. <laughs> I'm the best meditator, I really got it down now. I really got it, you know. It's like, no, it's just pleasurable right now, it feels good. Let this be known, you know. Or do you absolutely need your camera because it's pleasurable? No, maybe you can be there and just enjoy the pleasure of the sunset, you know. I mean, I'm saying you, but I should be saying I, but... Anyway, that's all for us to consider. So, body, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, mind state. In one of the texts that we use for the, to talk about this practice, we, I like a lot how the Buddha says, when the mind is uh, scattered, know the mind as scattered. When the mind is unified or gathered or calm or stable, know the mind as such. So worthy of your attention, when the mind is agitated, know it as agitated. Not that it should be otherwise, and I'm bad, I'm always agitated, and you know, this is agitation right now. Let's be very attentive to that, not the story about it. Do you see how primary it is in a way? This is worthy of an, our attention apparently. So the mind state, the moods, yeah? And if we pay our, uh, attention will make amazing discovery. One of them that I really like seeing is that when I have a strong emotion, often it's hard to feel. It's hard to feel fear, or the anxiety, or the anger. It's really difficult to feel, and I can learn maybe how to accompany myself in a difficult emotion like this. But by paying attention to the mind state that is there, one of the discovery I make every time is that it alters my perception. The world seems much more hostile when I'm in fear than it actually might really be. The future looks maybe a little bit more blink when I'm in despair than what it actually, what will actually happen. I will end up alone with nobody loving me, you know. Maybe, maybe not, but the mood creates a perception of the world. And the more I'm aware of this, the more I can be free inside the person. Oh yeah, it appears like this. It's only an appearance right now. Do you see the, the freedom possible by paying attention to a mood? How it appears like the other is the enemy. Maybe they just said something harsh, you know. Maybe they're not out to get me so much. Especially if I check in. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll find out that there's a misunderstanding, you know. And so paying attention to moods, colorings of the mind. For example, when there is a desire, a strong desire, it will present to me something as completely satisfying. If you get this thing, person, situation, this will be complete happiness forever, you know. It colors my perception. It appears, this and I get the thing and after a few hours I'm like, well, it's, it's good, it's good, no, no, it's good. But it's not actually it. It doesn't. It didn't provide so everything I thought it would provide. You know. Oh, okay. My perceptions were altered by 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 my mind state. It presented me the world or some things in a certain way. By paying attention, I can free myself from that. I can be in the perception. It can appear like this, but I can have the wisdom to say like, oh yeah, I know. When desire is strong, it kinds of 
push a lot of information away that is not pleasing, you know. And so, oh, the body, the pleasure, pleasure on pleasure, the moods, the emotions, the mind states, and uh, I mean, there's many th other things. The intentions before I speak, before I move, what makes me move? What makes me the wanting to get, the wanting to get rid of, the wanting to be seen, the what makes me do things? Pay attention to this in a non-judgmental way. You'll maybe avoid a lot of mistake, a lot of trouble. And so that's what we're doing here. We, we start, we put a lot of emphasis on the body and then we kind of bring the thoughts, pay attention to your thoughts, your mood, like we're opening the field of what we, uh, we can know. And then it might end up, maybe in a weekend, maybe not, but that we might become interested by the, uh, this aspect of our reality, which is consciousness, this kind of intelligence in there, what highlights things, like, like what makes things known. Not the actual sensation, but what knows it that I take so personal? Me. What do you mean, what knows the tingling in the toes? Me. Well, pay attention. You might discover that there's something that is knowing the emotions, knowing the sensations. But it might not be so personal either. It might be something that is pretty amazing. But maybe not so much exactly you or yours, but blending there at the center of the experience. But you would probably agree with me that it would need a very refined mind, an attention that is of a very high quality to start even questioning these kinds of assumptions that I am at the center of this experience. You know, maybe there is just an experience that is multifaceted and complex with emotions and wants and not wants and sensitivity. And maybe it's not so personal, this thing. Maybe that discovery could be liberating. Oh my God, it's not so personal. There is a kind of knowing, cognition. Maybe it's pretty similar to the others. Different story, different way to react. But maybe there's something there that is not so me, that I don't need to defend, it has its own story. I don't know, it could be a discovery or not. Maybe I'll finish by just saying this, is that what I like also about this practice is that my understanding of it at least is that there's this teaching from the Buddha, let me show you a way to pay attention so you can Discover the truth for yourself. You don't have to believe anybody or anything, anything, even if it's in the culture and it's assumed by everybody, or if it's the trend, or you don't have to believe anything. Just pay attention and you'll be able to clarify for yourself with this quality attention that I'm going to show you, you know, that you're going to cultivate. You're going to be independent in this way. This is one point I like a lot. So maybe I can finish by saying, do not believe me in any way or Anushka or anybody else you meet on your way. Consider maybe what is uh, suggested or the ideas presented, but pay attention in such a way that you'll know for yourself what is what. 
And you'll know for yourself the way to free this mind and heart. Okay. Thank you for your attention. Let's take a moment just to pay attention. Simply know what you know, know what you are aware of, what is known right now. How can this be fully known? How can this be allowed to reveal itself? Very simply, no digging, no forcing, just availability, attention. said to be the way to the, the sure way to the heart's release. Again, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.